This is the Blue Cloud Podcast, empowering the entrepreneurial lifestyle with insights on the leading trends in the mobile and digital landscape, turning ideas to empires. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Carter. And today I want to talk to you about some a little bit of inspiration from a marketing and business standpoint. It's one of those things. I was actually at a wedding this weekend, and I started talking to some people about some of these stories I've heard. And because they're not really in the know, they're not in San Francisco, they don't hear this kind of stories very often, it just it, it was really cool to see the effect that it has on them, like how much inspiration it gave them. And I figured this would just be a great, a great way to, to spread that message and, and to get some of these stories out to you guys because, honestly, this is the kind of stuff that has made some of the biggest gains for me because it just gets me so fired up. The creativity, the, the juices that come from this are just... They're worth their weight at school. Now, I can't take complete credit for this because this came from just reading tons and tons of books. And I believe that there's actually a, a whole post about this kind of thing. It's on Quora. You can go check it out. Uh, Q-U-O-R-A. It's a terrific website. It's crowdsourced uh, information and question and answers. But what this is all about is what are some of the best, most gangster moves you've ever seen in business? Okay? What are like just power moves that some someone did that absolutely blew it away and, and had massive, massive gains. Not just incremental growth, but we're talking huge, huge, just incredibly clever, smart moves. And I think things like that, to hear them, spark such good creativity that's really important to talk about. And you're going to hear me over the course of a lot of these podcasts talking about what I like to call wormholes. And a lot of people th- talk about, you know, uh, let's say hacking or, you know, lifestyle design or whatever it may be. And I think that th- this all kind of falls into the same bucket where, Wormholes to me, it kind of goes back to uh, Einstein's theory of relativity. Wormholes mean that if you go into a wormhole, you can go a massive amount of distance in a very short amount of time because you're kind of bypassing the, the regular rules. And I like to look at what I'm about to talk about as five of the most unbelievable wormholes I've ever seen done in business. And the goal of this is that it, it inspires you as a reader, as a listener, I should say, and also shows you that really it, just, it can take one move to just completely change your life. It can do one thing. And I love finding out that one, that one fulcrum that people had and businesses had that just completely changed the game. And so without further ado, I just want to run through these. And if you want to read more about these, definitely go online and search for some of these. You'll, you'll, you'll see the stories I'm talking about. Okay, so the first one was actually done recently. Uh, this was done about, I think it was in 2010. And if you guys remember, back, uh, back in Chile, there was a bunch of miners that got stuck in the mining. And they were down there for, I think, 65 or 70 days or something. It was an unbelievable uh, story, and they were trapped, and they finally got them out. And, and they, it was such an amazing, uh, uplifting story because they came out, and they were okay, and their families were there, and it was, it was really great. What you didn't really hear about on the news, though, is that while this was happening, some guys or some people over at Oakley Sunglasses said, you know, when these people come out of the mines, it's going to be really bright. And we want to be able to send them some sunglasses so that when they are coming out of the mines, they, their eyes don't get shocked by the light because they've been underground for so long. I think there's about 35 people that were uh, under the mines. Now, what they also realized is that everybody in the world is going to be watching 
when this happens, right? And so they sent the miners these sunglasses. They got lowered down. All of some miners put the sunglasses on to protect themselves from the light. And then they get raised out of the ground. And what do you see but 35 miners wearing Oakley sunglasses, just ecstatic on life, hugging their families, overjoyed with relief and gratitude for life. And in the meantime, it was projected that Oakley made about $41 million dollars. Or it was $41 million advertising spend for what they got for sending those 35 pairs of sunglasses to the right people at the right time. That is just an unbelievable power. Like, it's such a good foresight, a great marketing move by them. So that was number one. Number two, this is kind of a similar situation, actually. This is a little more OG back in the 1970s. Uh, many of you may remember if you were around then. If not, um, Pele, who played for, for Brazil's soccer team, was one of, if not the greatest football player in the world, and, and arguably one of the best football players that ever lived. He, did, he was just an unstoppable player, and he was wildly popular, not only in South America, but all over the world. While this was happening, uh, Puma and Adidas, two big sports, co- uh, sports shoe companies, were competing like crazy. Uh, there was, I think it was called the sneaker war back then or something crazy because it was so, like, they were trying to get market share from each other, kind of like Apple and Google right now. But they also agreed that if they if they competed with each other head to head, they were just going to bankrupt each other because they couldn't um, they couldn't get Pele because they both want him and they would end up just spending more and more mon- money. And so they kind of had this unspoken thing where all right, we won't go after him. However, one guy on Pele, I, I think he was a sales guy. He decided, okay, well, I'm just going to go um, do my own thing. And he walked up to he found Pele and he goes, look, I'll pay you $120,000 cash if you wear Pumas in the 1970 World Cup. And so Paley said, um, okay, like, you yeah, know, that's fine. Like, sure, I was going to wear, I was going to wear anyway. And he goes, well, actually, the money isn't really to wear the shoes, but you have to tie, you have to tie your shoes at kickoff. And Paley says, uh, okay, like, that's all I got to do is tie my shoes. You can pay me 120 grand. So anyway, though, he goes to the World Cup and everybody in the world, the stadium is electrified. Everybody in the world is watching this, watching Pele about to go light up the World Cup. Biggest sporting event in history. Everybody around the world is watching this game, about to kick off. And what do they see except Pele walking up to the ball, looking up at the cameras, and then reaching down and tying his Puma shoes. Right? Unbelievable. Not only was it just like it worked perfectly executed, but the years following, Puma just completely took off, ended up decimating Adidas in many, many markets. Adidas came back later on to start licensing their products, things like that. But it was one of the most shocking moves for in the brand and sneaker world for this to happen because no one had ever been able to crack that code with Pele. So I thought that was a pretty unbelievable story as well. The third one I want to talk about, this is more for the finance people out there. I, I love finance. I love the markets. I love how that works. And uh, you may have heard the name George Soros before. He's a, he's a pretty big name in the hedge fund world and in the investment world. And, uh, you know, he made a ton and ton of money, you know, billions and billions of dollars. But one of his greatest moves and maybe one of his defining moves in his life can be traced back to uh, the, the early 90s. In the early 90s, the, cur- the worldwide currencies were this crazy, uh, I didn't even know what you call it, but it was just such a mess because there was all about, you know, you can fi- fix your currency to other currencies. Do you float your currencies? You know, how does, as globalization was starting to happen and as technology was starting to work, all these currencies were starting to get crazy valuation and the Forex markets were starting to go nuts. Now, as part of this, England, which 
was one of the world leaders, uh, you know, throughout the whole century was trying to protect themselves. And they said, look, we are going to guarantee that the, uh, un- the UK pound is going to keep its value during this process. Like we are going to guarantee that it's not going to devalue itself. Uh, we're a strong country. You, you don't have to worry about the UK pound falling apart. And so what they would do is they would go to all the exchanges around the world and they would buy up uh, all the excess uh, currency and put it in their own banks so that there was less out there. And so that um, it would keep the price really high because the scarcity would stay high, the demand would stay high. Now, the problem was that um, they didn't think that, that like, at, at some point, you, you can't just like, manipulate the markets that way. And it, 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 if, if it's, there's true value behind it, then yeah, you can keep that price high. But if there's not, it's eventually going to fall because you can't keep faking it, right? And so this guy, George Soros, uh, walked in and he said, you know, there's no way this is going to work. And he's like, I'm going to bet that this currency is going to drop because I don't think the UK can keep floating this the way they have been. And no one really knew, but it ended up being one of the, one of the he, was, he, was, he was dead on. And so what he did is he took out a $10 billion short position. And what that means for anyone who doesn't know about uh, shorting positions in the stock market or in, in investments is you basically bet that a stock is going to go down. And so you are selling your shares now with the option to buy them at a price later on. And you know that's what the shorting is all about. So he basically said, I'm going to bet $10 billion that this is going to go way down. And then I'm going I'm to be able to buy this back at a, a much lower price and clear a huge profit. So anyway, he uh, committed $10 billion. And then September of 92, the uh, whole thing fell apart in the Bank of England. They just they ran out of money. They couldn't keep buying it. Uh, and so the, the true price came through and the entire currency dropped uh, 20% over the next few weeks. And uh, George Soros, I think he made over a billion dollars on that one trade which is widely regarded as one of the craziest things to ever do. I mean, not only are you banking uh, all your money, but you know, to make that kind of money in, in one move is just out of control. The full story is, is unbelievable because he kept doubling down and he convinced everybody in his hedge fund to double down with him. And everyone was telling him he's crazy and he was the only one who did it and he made a, just a gigantic amount of money and also set a legacy for the rest of his life. I mean, he'll forever go down as that's one of the greatest financial trades of all time. Example number four. This is one of my absolute favorites. I love this story. Okay, there's a company called Swan Vesta, and they make matches, right? Like, you know, you, you want to light a match to start a fire or whatever. And the company that he was working at, Swan Vesta, was saying, okay, well, we're having a hard time cutting costs. Our profit margins are not good enough. Like, we're having a really difficult time right now. Like, what do we do? And so they were having a lot of brainstorming sessions and, you know, thinking of new ways to market it. And uh, a regular employee, I, I believe he was on the manufacturing line, <clears throat> he came to the managers and he said, look, I have an idea and I'm pretty sure I can save you millions of dollars. I think they're a British company, so millions of pounds uh, in production costs if you do this. But I'm not going to tell you unless you give me a cut of whatever this saves the company. And so these managers are like, well, you know, okay, that's great, but we're, we're, we're super smart people. We're obviously... We obviously exhausted every possibility. There's no way you're coming in here with any sort of real idea. So, yeah, we'll give you some shares of this. And so he went and he got a lawyer and he, he signed the papers. They walked into a meeting and he, they're like, you know, if this works and we make some money, we'll, we'll, get, we'll, we'll pay you. So he walks in, he sits down at the table and he goes, well, why don't you just put the sandpaper on one side of the matchbox? And they were like, oh, oh my God, why do we think of that? 
Because <laughs> they were putting it on both sides of the box. And that's one of the most expensive parts of the production is the glue and the adhesive and the paper. And by that one move, they saved millions and millions of millions of dollars over the next few years. And the guy retired. And he was just collecting checks just because of that one idea that he had and walked in and did it. Which I think is just so awesome. Oh, I love that one. And then finally, this is just... Um, I love I love this story because it's so simple, it's so clean, it's so short, but it's also a really good uh, reason why you find out that really good investors and really good business people tend to be just uh, they have the best information. That like that's always kind of what it always comes down to is that they're really smart and they always have the best information. And so what happened? Uh, there's this guy. His name is Tom Barrick, I believe, and he was he was big in real estate, international uh, real estate. And he was over in Japan, and they were all, they were selling the biggest baseball stadium. It was called uh, was it Fuku, uh, Fukuoka Fukuoka Dome. I'm, I'm horrible <laughs> Japanese right there, so I apologize to anyone out there. But that was for sales, like their biggest, you know, the Yankee Stadium for Japan, and uh, they were selling it. And he walks in, this guy Tom Barrick, and he looks at the stadium. He goes, "I don't know anything about baseball. I have no idea what the location's like. You know, I've never even been to Japan." But in a weekend, him and a bunch of his uh, people on his team did some quick math, and they realized that the titanium in the roof that retracted for the dome was actually more valuable than the purchase price. So while everyone else was sitting around talking about, is this a good baseball team? Are we going to be able to get enough fans in here? How the concessions, all that parking lot? He was saying, I'm going to make money strictly on the titanium. I could just tear this place down and sell the titanium as scrap iron and make more money. And that's what he did, and he made a ton of money doing it. So I think that is just like, I love that kind of thing when people just, they just know they're the smartest guy in the room, and they just get it done. So I thought that was a fun little five cool stories from business. Hopefully that uh, gives you guys some inspiration for the day, and then you go out and you start seeing opportunities, because I think one thing we talk about a lot at Blue Cloud is finding opportunities in places that you might not think are opportunities. And it just makes you realize that there's always more out there. There's always ways to win. And sometimes going against the grain is the best way to do it. So thanks so much for tuning in, guys. And I will see you soon. All right. This has been another episode of the Blue Cloud Podcast. For more information on app development, ebooks, reliable source codes, and more, expand your mobile knowledge by going to bluecloudsolutions.com.